Well, at this time, I'd like to go ahead and dismiss the children because it's their last children's program tonight. And so I know they're excited about that. And so they can make their way out, and out of there. And uh, thank you for, for uh, ministering. I, I think we have a great privilege of letting our team members minister to your children on a consistent basis. And that is a great encouragement to us tonight. If you have a Bible, take your Bible and go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 tonight. As we turn to Ephesians 2, the reality of the gospel, uh, not everyone understands this gospel. You know that. I remember talking years ago to a, to a kid one time. He was, I think, maybe eight years old. I said, hey, have you ever been saved? And I was using a term that I think that we're so used to. And so I said, um, and it's a Bible term. I said, have you ever been saved before? And he said, oh, yeah, I've been saved. And I said, well, tell me about it. I always like to hear people's salvation testimony. And he says, well, my, my mom was driving down the road one day in a minivan, and I was kind of uh, sitting in the passenger seat, and she was driving down the road. All of a sudden, we come to a stop sign, and she slams on the brakes, and she stops, and another car goes, and I was waiting for more just like you are. I'm like, okay, and... and and then I realized, oh, wait a second, I don't mean have you ever been saved from a car accident, I mean, have you ever been rescued from your sin? And he goes, oh, well, no, I don't think so. It's interesting how we use these terms, and as we use these terms, I think about this book, Ephesians, and this passage makes such an impact in my own heart, and what an encouragement it is to me personally. I'll tell you a little bit in just a, in a moment by that, but I want you to look at, at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. They're very, very popular verses. I would tell you, if you don't know this verse personally, it would be a great opportunity for you to, to actually spend some time memorizing these two verses. I think they're powerful verses to help you really understand what it means to be truly saved. As you look at this closely, it says in, in verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. As I consider this, my own heart is warmed by this passage of Scripture for multiple reasons, but one of them is this, is a number of summers ago, at the very beginning of the summer, I was on a mission trip, and we were um, we're, we had basically just kind of left, um, you could say, the mainland of the United States. Uh, where we went to was, was in Wasilla, Alaska. We were actually there. We we're going to be there for about two weeks. We we're in Wasilla and Anchorage. And as we, we landed there, right when I landed, my mom calls me up and says this. She says, hey, Jeremy, just so you know, Grandma Frazier just passed away. Now, when she told me that, um, my grandma had been battling cancer, and a lot of people had come in to visit her and uh, so because everyone was already in town for visiting her, they said, we're going to do the funeral basically right away. I, I knew at that point, even getting on a plane, I, I probably wouldn't even make the funeral, just the nature of how far away we were and where it would be. And I was discouraged initially, but then I began to think, wait a second, I'm not discouraged by this. I began to consider, what would my grandma, Frazier, say? And here's what she would have said. She would have said, Jeremy, don't leave a mission trip to come back for my funeral, but you keep preaching Jesus. She often encouraged me to be bold in my faith and to present the gospel to people. She had come to Christ at a younger age and, and just, just really lived the gospel. And I'm just so thankful for a, for a godly grandmother. Later this summer, and at the end of that same summer, um, I get another phone call. At some point, I've been talking to my mom throughout the summer. And, um, but I get this phone call from my mom, and she says, Hey, Jeremy, I want you to know that Grandma Smith just passed away. Well, that was her mom. And um, now my Grandma Smith was 97 years old when she passed. Now, the truth is, 
we weren't expecting Grandma Smith to live another 20 years, okay? I mean, we knew when you're 97, can I just tell you this? Every day is a miracle. I mean, that's, that's an amazing age, and that was my grandmother, and, and she passed away. She was in Gainesville, Florida, and had been living in Gainesville. And, um, and so at that point in time, I was up in uh, north of Green Bay. I got on a plane flight in Green Bay, and I flew down to Jacksonville, Florida. My cousin picks me up. I'm headed to the funeral. Now, she also was a believer. I knew uh, she was a believer. She got saved years ago through a backyard Bible club and uh, really transformed her own life. And, and so I, I, I remember my cousin, he picks me up, and he says, Hey, Jeremy, as he's driving from Jacksonville, we're driving to Gainesville, he says, I am so glad that you're able to come to the funeral. Hey, do you think you could do the funeral? Now, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, like, a, like a, oh, no, like I wasn't like expected. Because in my own mind, I thought on that side, and at that point, my grandma had been, had been older, I, I, like I wouldn't know who would do the funeral anyway. And so when he asked me, I said, that would be my privilege. I'd already been kind of thinking, you know, maybe if they were to say anything to me or whatever, if I have an opportunity to speak, I would already, I already had kind of my, my idea where I would, where I would head. But I, I remember going to, we went to my grandma's house. We're all kind of there fellowshipping and, and I, and I went and I found her Bible and I opened up her Bible and I was going through the, the, the word just to kind of find out what passages made a serious impact in my grandmother's life. And I came across Ephesians chapter two. Now, I know it made an impact in her life. You know why? Because it was so underlined and highlighted. There was a certain spot where it was kind of like a square and little shoots of stars kind of shooting out. And I mean, it, like, I, I looked at this passage and I thought, wow, what, a, what better of a passage to explain the gospel to, to many people who would come to the funeral. I realized there would be lost family members, there would be lost friends, there would be people who would, who would know Christ. But this is a, such a clear passage and clear teaching about, I mean, really what clear even in Scripture, that, that it's just, it's right here. And so as I look at this even tonight, the truth is I want to deal with the subject of what is even real salvation, because the truth is, is there are many people, I think if you were to ask and, and pull the, the greater, you know, Michiana area, you're going to find out that, that many people claim Jesus, but what does that even mean? And so the reality is, what does the Bible say? That's, let's go back to that, because that's where our authority is. That's, that's where we get the understanding of this. So I want to pray, and for the next couple of moments, I'm just going to seek to unfold this right in front of our very eyes. It's amazing to see how clear this is. And so my prayer would be this. If you're here tonight and you're not in Christ yet, that tonight could be the greatest night of your life, where you humble yourself. You actually turn to Christ and Him alone, and you're saved. May God help you. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you so much for just the, the music and teaching there. And, and yet, as we've heard that, it's warmed our hearts, Lord, for the sake of the gospel. I pray for the next couple of moments that you would empower me. You would use me in a very special way as I would proclaim the word of God. I realize that to some who are lost, it can be foolishness. But yet, to those who are being saved, it is the, it is the power of God unto salvation. So, God, I pray that tonight as I would declare this, that you would do your work in hearts and lives. Lord, I realize sometimes we're planting, sometimes we're watering, and you're in charge of the increase, God. So do an increase in our heart and our soul. Lord, if there's somebody here without Christ, bring them to a saving knowledge. For those who are in Christ, Lord, bring us to a greater love and greater service to you. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Use this in a very special way. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. As you go to verse 1 of chapter 2, it, it actually paints a bad picture, just so you know. 
Don't get too discouraged as I'm kind of working through the first couple verses, but watch this. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. It's talking about before you're rescued by God, actually, spiritually, you're dead, and you're dead in your sins. You could say this, point number one, which I'm getting right to it. Here we go, ready? Point number one is this, salvation is from sin. The whole point that Jesus came was to rescue us from this problem that we all have. It's called sin. Now, can I tell you this? Nobody in our world wants to say this anymore. It's almost like you can hear television preachers and they'll never speak on sin. I mean, you can go to churches and you'll never hear the word sin. And my people tell you, no, it's not your fault. It's just the upbringing, you know? It's just, it's just kind of the, the idea of you have a syndrome, but you, you don't have any sin problem. But the reality is this is the whole reason Jesus came to rescue us. We do have a sin problem. What is sin anyway? Sin is when you break God's laws. You could say it this way as I think of kids and, and teaching children so often we would say sin is anything you think or say or even do that displeases God. Man, we can sin in many ways. Think about this. You can sin with your mind. Do, do you realize you can have an a, a angry thought towards somebody? You can have a bitter thought or an envious thought. It's interesting because no one else reads your mind, but God knows what you think. Actually, I think even our own minds, we can have proud thoughts. Actually, the scripture even says we can have immoral thoughts. If you even look at somebody and you have an immoral thought, Jesus says, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And the reality is every last one of us in this room, we're guilty of breaking God's laws. We're guilty of, of, being, uh, of being people who have sinned against a holy God. We all know that. We say things. I mean, think about this. Every last one of us in this room, we wish we could take certain things back that we've said. We've all hurt loved ones, haven't we, by saying something. And we might even say, well, I didn't mean that. Except for the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I like as my good friend Steve Pettit would say. He says, you know what the, what the tongue is? It's just a dipstick to the heart. If you really want to know what's in the heart, just let the person speak. Because eventually it will be revealed. They will reveal their own heart to you. When you consider this, the reality is all of us have sinned in our minds, in our, with our mouths. We've sinned with our lives. We've all done things that we wish no one would ever know or we could take back. As you consider this, the reality is all of us are dead in our sins. Now, what does that mean? It means there's no, there's no life spiritually apart from God doing something in us. Now, I think about this. When you think about spiritually dead, I think about, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, we were in Michigan, and as we were in Michigan, um, I remember at one point in time, somebody within this church that was a was an old church, and I say it like this because the truth is, man, you guys just celebrated your 150th year. That is amazing. That's amazing. Well, this is another church that was just like that, and it was in, in Michigan, kind of near the Thumb area in Michigan, they say. And, um, and as I remember being there, there was an older gentleman in the church who had been going to church for so many, many years who had passed away, um, and he had passed away kind of right at the very beginning of the week, and they said, hey, would your team be willing on Thursday when they do the funeral, it's going to be in the morning and afternoon time, would your team be willing to do some music? We said, sure, however we can help, we'd love to do that. 
That morning as we were preparing and getting things ready for the funeral, though, um, I remember Rachel, um, the shorter one up here who was singing, she said to me, she, she had to go get her, her music, and, and there was a notebook that was left, and so you know what she did? She actually um, went into the auditorium. They weren't really letting people in yet, but they let her in as a musician to go get that notebook, and when she said, I went in to go get the notebook, I was the only one in there, and the casket was there, and it was an open casket. And she goes, and I didn't know the person. And not only was it going to be an open casket, but it was going to be an open casket funeral. And she said, and I was in there by myself, and I just didn't know, you know. And, and, um, but I will say this, as the funeral began, the guy never said anything to us. He didn't say, hey, everyone, thank you so much for coming to the funeral. It was a, it's, you know, it's a great turnout. He didn't say, hey, good job on the music, you guys. He, he didn't respond at all because dead people don't respond Spiritually dead people don't respond either. I mean, when you think about spiritually dead people, they go to church. Why? It's like maybe a good business deal, maybe because a friend asked you or something like that too. Maybe because you could pat yourself on the back like I'm a pretty good person because I went to church and, and, and some of the other people in my community didn't. You know, uh, it, it's, But it's not really to know God. I think about that. I think about a lost person trying to read the Bible. The Bible even says that the natural man or woman. The idea is a normal person before they're saved, they don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither could he or she know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you read the Bible and it's like a blank book. It just You're wondering, why is everyone excited about this thing? What, what's the big deal? But isn't it amazing when God, when God actually brings you from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive? It's a, it's, it's, he gives new life. When I think about this, though, before you're saved, though, it doesn't say you're spiritually alive. Actually, you're spiritually dead, and you need God to do something that you could never do for yourself, which would mean raise you from the dead spiritually. Now, you go even further than this. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, wait a second here. You followed a course, it says. What does that mean? It means that here's the world, and it's kind of going on its course, and you just kind of followed the course of the world. It was almost like a natural, normal kind of a thing. It's like everybody else is doing it. It's almost like a bunch of cattle going to slaughter, and they have no clue, following the one in front of them, just going, and just keep making their way the same direction. And the idea is the world has a course, and if you notice the course of this world, it's not spiraling up, it's spiraling down quickly. And you see this, and I mean, I consider and go, wait, what they used to, again, allow on, uh, in, in media 50 years ago, and then 20 years ago, and 10 years ago, and today, and how far things have come in social media, that even on your phone, it's amazing to think about, about the amazing things that you can do, but then all the negative and the immoral things that could be right there too. I mean, you, you consider our world, and it's saying it's, it's energized by the prince and power of the air. Do you know what that is? That is a reference to Satan. You could say it this way. The devil is energizing our world to do evil. And a person who is lost, what do they naturally do? They are deceived. They follow the course of the world. It's almost like everyone else is doing it, so I guess it seems to be okay. Not only are you dead and deceived, but watch this. It's like it says that we're also disobedient because it says even that we are now, at, the Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, wait a second. What's that supposed to mean? 
That means the, the people who are not born from God yet, they are characterized by their sin. They are considered the children of disobedience. Now, when you consider even disobedience, I would ask you this, because so often we think of a parent and child relationship, which would mean everybody in this room at some point. So here's my question to you. Have you ever disobeyed your parents growing up? Now, if you say no, that's another sin. That's called lying, okay? Okay. You've disobeyed. Now, how many times did you disobey your mom or dad growing up? Now, you can't even tell me the exact number. If you do, that'll be another lie. That's how, I mean, I just say this because we've all just said, well, uh, probably a lot. You know, we, we did. We sinned against our own parents this way. But this is saying that we're children of disobedience. What is that? Before God, that we just naturally disobey. And it's characterized by a lost person who lives in their sin. Now, it's not saying this. That every lost person before you're rescued, you just delve and you, you go after your sin in every evil and horrible way. You just try to go. No, it's not saying that. But the reality is it's showing us that every last one of us have sinned and we all break God's laws. You could say we're dead in our sins. We are deceived in our sins. We're actually disobedient towards God. You go to verse 3, though, and it gets even worse. Verse 3 even says this, among whom... We all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, wait a second here. We, we, it's like we, we, what we thought about, we just did. It, it's like when you consider the depravity of mankind's mind and heart, it's amazing how we can think evil thoughts, even in doing good things. It, some of you have experienced this. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class or you've ministered in some way, and yet even in the midst of ministry, sometimes the mind can wander, and you're like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? It's, it's amazing to think about how, how sinful we can be in our minds, in our hearts through and through, and yet the deceptiveness of this and it says, and we're by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? From God's perspective, it's simply this. God has what's called wrath. And God's wrath is this. It is righteous anger that he pours out on sin and on sinners. If you don't seem to understand that very well, all you have to do is, is go back to, to the worldwide flood and what happened there. And yet here's God's wrath being poured out. And yet he will never fully flood the world fully again the same way. But he will. And he does have wrath. And actually all you do is read Revelation. You read about the end times. And you go, whoa, this is serious wrath to come. And uh, you, I mean, this is, this, is, this is major. So this is God, a holy God who, who, who deserves full worship from his creation. And what does his creation do? It's like a fist in the face of God. No, I'll do my own thing, God. You look at this, and yet here we are. This, you could say, is we are doomed. Or you could even say it this way. We're all damned. Apart from God, we have no hope. There's no way we can be rescued. We deserve his punishment. You say, what are you talking about? The Bible speaks of two places that you can go when you die. Have you ever read the scriptures? It speaks of two. It speaks of a place called heaven, and it speaks of a place called hell. There's no place called purgatory. I tell people, look for it. It's, it's not there. 
And you read this, and Jesus made it very clear, when you go to either one of these places, you don't, you don't move from one to the other. Actually, in Luke 16, Jesus himself taught this. And I say this because actually just not too long ago, I don't, what is it, like a couple of weeks ago, the, it's like the Pope came out and told everybody, hey, don't worry, there's, there's really not a hell. Well, I, I tend to believe Jesus over the Pope, you know what I mean, because he's Messiah, and, and so I would say one of them is right and one of them is wrong, and that's, that's, that's not trying to be offensive towards people. I'm just trying to tell you, wait a second, what does Jesus say and the Bible teach? If we're not careful, we follow mankind, and mankind can err and have problems. Obviously, we can look around and see every one of us have problems. But you look at this and go, this is, this is major because, because you've got a heaven and a hell and you've got this problem called sin. That's all of us. We're born sinful. I tell people, if you don't think you're born sinful, then you've never had children. <laughs> I mean, the truth is just have kids and you'll realize kids, they are born bad. I mean, or, or maybe work in a church nursery with a real long-winded preacher and you'll find out real quick, kids are born bad. You wouldn't believe the little girl, you know, that's mine, no, that's mine. She punches the boy, ah, you know, and you're like, well, who taught him that? And, and I don't have to teach my kids to lie, you know, it's amazing. I don't have to say, okay, here's how you disobey mom, let's practice. Okay, here she comes, now work, it, work on, you know. No, you don't have to do that. And yet the nature of us all, we've all broken God's laws, we all deserve his punishment. This is the bad news of the Bible, but thank you for not leaving yet, because here, look at the next verse, verse 4. This is where, in my own grandmother's Bible, it was so clear. These first two words of verse 4, they were, they were marked. There's there like a box around them. There was, light, there was like, there's, there's like rays of light shooting out, you know. It's, it's like it was highlighted as well. And I thought, wow, she understood. Because it's almost like this. You read this and say, here's all this horrible news. And yet this is what we deserve. We deserve punishment. But notice verse 4, two words, but God. It's like, here's all the bad news, but then God, he steps in. He does something for you and for me that we could never do for ourselves. This is the most amazing news ever. It's called the good news. It's called the gospel. God, he steps in. Now, notice the descriptions of God. God being rich in mercy. What does that mean? Mercy, you could say, is God withholding judgment from every one of us. Actually, tonight, just because that you're in this room and you're not in hell, we're all, you could say, experiencing some form of God's mercy. But mercy and grace are different. Notice it says but God in his mercy, and he's rich in this mercy, so he's, he's so well-to-do to, to give out mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Doesn't it, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say that, that God kind of, sort of, kind of, maybe, sort of, kind of, maybe, sort of, kind of loved you. No, we know Scripture says, for God so loved the world. That means God, he demonstrates his own love for you. Even though you were a sinner, Christ, he, he died for you. Here's this great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Point number two, salvation is by grace. It says, by grace you have been saved. Now notice this. I'm going to take us all the way to verse 8 for a second. And it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So how are you saved? By grace. Now as you consider this, can I tell you how many people 
do not understand grace, I, I, especially religious people. I've had so many people all over the world tell me stuff like this. Well, you know, grace is a great thing from God, but you got to earn it. The moment you try to earn grace, it means it's not grace anymore. That's, that's what doesn't make any sense. People say this. I, I, I thought of one guy, he told me this. I mean, he had, he had trained for the priesthood at some point. He obviously didn't make it. I, I was actually working for him one time doing some construction work. And, and he would say this, Jeremy, either you're going to convert me or I'm going to convert you. And it wasn't converting me to any kind of form of religion. It was converting me to, to atheism, basically. That's what he was trying to talk to me about. But it's interesting as we had this conversation because he, he made a joke to me at one time and it, and the joke really had to do with this whole idea of, of Mother Teresa. He said, you know, she, she died, and, and when she died, she stood at the gates of heaven. And, and, um, and, and basically, the, the punchline was that Peter didn't let her in because she didn't do enough good works. And he's laughing, and I, I just kind of looked at him. He goes, don't you get it? She didn't do enough good works. I said, no, I get it, but... The truth is, according to the Bible, you can't do enough good works. Salvation is by grace. What are you talking about? Of course, you, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus and everything. You got to keep the sacraments and you got to get baptized. Well, that's interesting because the, the criminal on the cross was never baptized. And Jesus said, Behold, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, Well, that was different. He was saved by God's grace. And I smiled. And I said, Actually, that's the only way anyone is ever saved. It's by God's grace. What's grace? God. It's actually, actually lavishing you with riches, even though you deserve His punishment. You could say, some say God's riches at Christ's expense, but the idea of grace is something you don't earn, you don't deserve. Actually, verse 8 makes that clear as you look at that closely. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, wait a second. If it's not of your own doing, it means this. You can't earn grace. Did you know that going to church does not wipe away your sins? I make jokes often like this, like when you walk through the church door, did you feel tonight a funny zap, like a zzz, like whoa, like right when you walked in? Did, did you practice going back and forth like zzz, 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 oh, that feels so good because your sins kept being taken away because you walked into a church building? Wait a second, we all know going to church does not wash away your sins. Actually, people say, well, I've walked forward in a church service. Well, that's nice, but that doesn't wash away your sins. Actually, going underwater in front of people in a baptismal situation, I mean, how does, how does publicly going underwater from peop with people in the room and coming up somehow wash away all your sin problem. And the whole point is this. We all know it doesn't. Actually, all of that was meant to be symbolic. Even when you consider a wedding ring, I, I often describe it this way. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, um, when, I, when I got married, it, it's amazing. I, 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 I asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. I remember saying the vows. And then you get the, you know, you put the ring on each other's fingers. And, and, um, and what is this ring? It's a symbol, isn't it? And a token, you say sometimes. But the symbol is an interesting symbol because, because if I dropped my wedding ring and it rolled and let's just say someone picks it up and, and maybe it's a teenage girl and she's just curious the size that she puts on her finger, we wouldn't all go, ah, she's married. Because just putting a ring on your finger, it doesn't, doesn't mean you're married. Actually, the truth is, is, but why do I wear my ring? I wear this because it's a symbol to say, listen, I am married I want people to understand that and to know that, but it's symbolic. I could take my wedding ring off, but I didn't just get a divorce. 
When you consider baptism, it's nothing that, 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 that you do. The idea is baptism is meant to say, I am a follower of Christ. I have died to my sins. I have been raised to walk in newness of life. And I actually am following Christ as an example of death, burial, resurrection, and publicly displaying that I am a follower of Jesus. That's baptism. But some people trust in that. Like, that's what gets them. Actually, I've had people tell me this. Well, Jeremy, I've been confirmed. Really? Do you realize that you can answer all the questions correctly and die and go to hell? You say, what? What are you talking about? Well, the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble, but they're not on their way to heaven. You could have all the intellectual faith and understand the gospel in your mind, but if you've never repented from the heart, trusting in Christ and the Messiah and Him alone, you won't make it. That's why it's not of our own doing. It's a gift. Now, what do you do with a gift? You could say, well, I don't want the gift, or you could, you could take the gift, but you don't ever get a gift, do you, and then say, how much was that? I mean, could you imagine a teenager? Hey, Grandma, how much was that? Whoa, that was $100. That's, pretty, that's a pretty nice gift, Grandma. Thanks. Hey, hold on a second. And you go into your other room and come out and, and hand $100 to Grandma and say, Grandma, thank you for the gift, though. Here it is. I paid for it. She would say, what are you doing? Put that away. She'd probably slap you a little bit, you know. She would not accept that. No, it's a gift. You don't pay for a gift. It's the gift of God, it says. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works. Why? If we could earn it, what would we do? We would boast about it. So it's grace. Now, as I say this, this idea, let me help you out with one illustration. I think of some years ago, we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and, um, and it was interesting because it was just before I got married. It was that semester, so it was the spring of, of 2000. And I remember we went out with some college, like a college group of people. It was after a service of one of the churches there in Phoenix. And, and we go to this restaurant. It was like a Denny's. You know, it was like a, a breakfast all day kind of a restaurant. And so while we're there, I remember uh, we're sitting down. And this lady, they, she comes over, the, the waitress, and she's passing out the menus. And here's what she says. She passes it out, and she says, um, uh, she says, just so you know, you can order anything off the menu. Now, I'm, I'm like a jokester. I don't know if you've caught that. I, I like to, uh, and I'm sarcastic. And so when she said, you can order anything off the menu, I smiled and I said, <laughs> isn't that normal? Like, I mean, isn't that what we should be able to do? I mean, if it's on the menu, we should be able to order it, you know? And, and she's, and she's kind of laughing. She goes, no, 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 I, here's what I meant by that. Someone came into the restaurant earlier and actually pay, put down enough money to pay for anybody who eats in the restaurant this evening. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, wait a second, there's, there was a lot of people, and, and, and it's still, I mean, there's still time for more people to come in. And I'm like, are you, are you serious? She says, yes. And then we're looking at each other like, come on. You know, this is like, you know, someone from our table probably is paying for this, but we looked at each other and realized, no, we're all poor. It wasn't any of us, you know. So then we're like, are you serious? She said, yes. And I said, well, that changes everything. So all of a sudden, before I was going to get, get like an appetizer, but forget the appetizer. Why not get a meal? And so I said, I think I'll get this meal. And she says, what about dessert? <laughs> good idea. And so I said, I think I'll take uh, that one right there. And she goes, well, you know, that one's good too. I said, well, then I guess I'll take that one as well. When it was all said and done, we all had the spread of all this food, and we all ate, and none of us paid a dime. Somebody graced us. Do you know what it is, what it means that you're saved by grace? It means you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. This is such a gift showered out by God in his kindness and mercy and his goodness that he does something for you that you could never do for yourself. That's 
grace. Have you ever been saved by his grace? That means you're not trying to earn it. That means you're actually depending upon the one who could save you, which brings you right to the next point. If salvation is from sin and by grace, can I tell you, it's through faith. You say, what do you mean? Well, verse 8 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So it happens through faith. You say, what, what's that all about then? Because we live in a world where everyone says, oh, you got to have faith or you got to keep the faith. You know, it's like a buzzword. But I'm looking at you and saying, wait a second. It's not just any faith because actually everybody in this room has faith. Even if you came in tonight and said, I'm an atheist. Well, then guess what? You have great faith. Everybody has faith. But it's not just any faith, it's actually believing in and upon, or you could say trusting in the one who can save you. What's that? That's not about us. It's about the one who's faithful, who actually did the work for us. It's all about Jesus. Verse 5, as you look at this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This is point number four. You're saved through Christ. He's the only way. I mean, as you consider this, look, at, look actually at verse 12. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who were you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ how are you saved through Christ it's Jesus now what does that mean though because I've had even a cousin of mine one time said to me well Jeremy maybe Buddha is there Jesus? And I said to my cousin, I quoted him a scripture. I said to my cousin, I said, no, can't be that. I said, here's why. Because the Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's through Christ, Christ alone. As you consider this Messiah, there's not many Messiahs. There's one. There's one that was the virgin-born child. Think about that. This God-man child. He had to be perfectly human, but he had to be perfect of God because he had to be the eternal, perfect human sacrifice for us. And so there's no one else who meets that except for Christ. He had to be sinless. He who knew no sin would become sin for us. Jesus, even in his, even in his ministry, you know what he said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a pretty serious claim, isn't it? I mean, there's only one way, he's saying. The only way is through, through Christ. Actually, the Bible even says there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The Bible never says, hey, go pray to Mary to pray to Jesus to pray to God. It never says that. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. And yet when you consider this, you're going, that's, that's pretty radical. Actually, I like his C.S. Lewis. Some of you might be familiar with that author of the past. C.S. Lewis said, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he goes around and he lies to everybody and he says, I'm the Messiah, but he, but he knows he's not, well, guess what? He's not a good man and you shouldn't follow him because he's a liar and he's not, he's not the Savior. Now, the truth is, he said, or if he's a crazy man, maybe some crazy guy, you know, um, and, and the guy just says, hey, I'm Messiah. 
but he's not the Messiah, he's just kind of a lunatic? Well, don't follow the lunatic. But if he, Jesus, is Lord, exactly as he says, and all the prophecies that are fulfilled in this Messiah, and he's the king and he's Lord, guess what you should do? You should submit and repent and humble yourself to this Savior who can rescue you. Let me ask you this question. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? The reality is, who should you be trusting in to get you to heaven? It's Christ. You don't add to the Messiah. You don't take away from the Messiah. It's just Christ. It's looking to Christ and Him alone. As I said, even last night, here I was in a service at a, at a, at a younger age. I, I, I just was hearing the gospel. Got, God was stirring my heart. I knew. I knew I needed to be saved. And you know what's amazing to me? I remember talking to my father. My dad showed me from the Bible what it meant to be saved. I think of this. A number of actually, um, maybe about a year ago, we were in New Jersey there was a guy after the morning service, he made a beeline to me, and he said, Jeremy, can I talk to you right now? He said, I need to be saved right now. And so I said, well, let's go talk. Actually, I didn't really know where to go. I mean, he said, why don't we go to pastor's office? It's right over here. I said, how do you know pastor? Because I talk to pastor every so often, you know what I mean? Oh, well, that's good, I guess. And so we go and we sit in pastor's office, and he sits there, and he describes to me how he's been going to church, and for such a long time, he's known the gospel, but he's not been saved yet. He's not placed his faith, but he says, I've known this for a long time. I'm not a believer. And he says, and so you know what I'm doing tonight? It was actually the morning. You know what I'm doing this morning? I'm trusting Jesus as as the only way. I'm looking to Christ, and, I, and he cried out to the Lord. He starts praying on his own. He starts crying out to the Lord to be saved. And you know what's amazing? I, I look back at it, and I go, man, that guy was trusting Christ and him alone. He got saved. It was not of his good works. It was of God's great work. Now, many of you in this room, there's been a time in your life where you've understood this message, and you've actually responded to it in your heart. You actually, from the heart, said, I couldn't rescue myself. I'm looking to the Messiah, and I'm repenting. I'm trusting in Jesus. Just like you're giving him your heart and your life, you're looking to the Savior and him alone. Many of you have done that, but there are some of you who haven't. I I sit there tonight and go, this is no mistake that God has you here. And and again, you, you might live to be like my grandmother, 97, but you're not promised when you're 97 to even feel any kind of any kind of tug from God that you should be saved. Actually, you're not even promised tomorrow. This may be the only service you get to hear at this point until the end of your life because you may die. You don't know that. And so as God starts working your heart, you know what should happen is you should humble yourself. You know what proud people do? They walk out of a service without humbling themselves and turning to Christ. Proud people go, maybe later. You know what humble people do and broken people do? They say, I need Jesus right now. And you consider this, and a person comes to Christ, there's one more thing you need to see. Look at verse 10 and look at it closely. Because verse 10 says this, for we, who's the we? These are the people who have been saved, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not that we do good works to earn salvation, no, because God has granted us this saving faith. What do we do naturally? We do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the point, that we would seek to do good works, because why? Because God has done a good work in us. We look for opportunities to be, like we said even last night, salt 
and even light. We do let our light so shine before men. Why? That they would see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Do you realize that you are saved for a purpose? Here's my question to you. Are you fulfilling that purpose? Because it's not about you. Sometimes we even act this way. Sometimes we're like the center of our own universe, even as Christians. And can I tell you something? Hello, you're not. There's one God, and he or she is not you. So when you consider this, you go, well, what should we do? Well, we should do as I, I like as, as big Bob Roberts, six foot eight. He's a friend of ours. And you know what Bob says? He'd say, hey, listen up to kids. He'd say, hey, listen up. It's all about God. You know what he's trying to tell them? He's trying to teach them, listen, life's not about you. It's all about him. And we should be serving him and loving him and walking with him as true believers. And we should be seeking to do good works. Why? Because he's done a great work in us. And the truth is we are saved for a purpose. Before salvation, you could say your life has no real purpose. But now in Christ, you have serious purpose. So may God help you fulfill that purpose. Let's pray tonight.